Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. To afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I can hardly wait for this hour to start because Dr. Josh Mulvihill is in my studio, and I really like Josh. He has uh, got quite a heart, quite a mind, and he earned his Ph.D. from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in family ministry, and he, he has a, this wonderful focus on the biblical role of grandparents, and I just love that. And we're going to talk today about how we can help kids defend their faith, how we can encourage children and our grandchildren to defend their faith. Um, Josh has written a number of books, and I'll read some of them here. I mean, I won't read the books. I'll read the titles. They're called Biblical... That, that would take the whole hour. <laughs> Biblical Grandparenting, Preparing Children for Marriage, and Rooted Kids Curriculum and Worship. And awfully glad to have him back on the show. Josh, welcome. Yeah, great to be here. I love this topic. I love uh, apologetics. This is one of my favorite topics. And I think when we talk about how to help kids defend their faith, we're helping adults defend their faith as well. It's a both and, isn't it? (laughs) It's absolutely a both and. And I think to get things started, I'd like to try to do some foundational work. Maybe we can start talking uh, about um, the basics. you You say you've got four components of apologetics to help children defend faith. Yeah, kind of historically, these are kind of four legs that apologetics sit on, and they come at building a lifelong faith from different angles. So I think it's helpful as we think about how we can help our children and grandchildren build lifelong faith. These different legs can be different ways we can approach the subject. So I'll just name the four, and then we can kind of attack any of them. Oh, you that'd want. be great. Yeah, I want to attack all four of them. All four. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's prove, defend refute and persuade so prove, prove. i'm gonna write this down defend notes. refute and persuade and they're all kind of different uh, portions of uh, of apologetics apologetics of course just means a defense of the faith and so not only do we want kids to understand their faith and believe but we need to get them to the point of conviction and ultimately affection for christ that they're kind of you know they're willing to take uh, they're willing to pay a price, essentially, and in our world today, um, it, that's becoming more and more apparent that it's going to be costly to be a true Christian that stands on the Word of God. And so, yeah, those four things, prove, defend, refute, and persuade. Where do you want to start? Well, I remember when I was being instructed in the faith and I was a teenager, it seemed that I was a sponge. I couldn't get enough. Um, and I didn't seem to question a lot. And I think kids today are always asking why. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Mm-hmm. Which I love. I applaud that. Uh, so let's start with proof. Yeah. So prove, uh, uh, you know, as parents and grandparents, we're really trying to build a case for Christianity. And I think there's lots of different ways we can do that, whether that's reading the truth of scripture, using science that God has given us that point to and uh, reaffirm what we find in God's Word uh, through history itself. Lots of, lots of biolo- or biographies are really helpful in 
the the proof category. Uh, Archaeology is real helpful, uh, but also even personal testimony. They can all uh, help us establish the truthfulness that we see in God's Word to help kind of build that up in the eyes of uh, the next generation. So one of them that I like that I think all of us could utilize today with our children or grandchildren is the idea of testimony. And I like to call that uh, story as apologetic. And uh, of course, we see this very readily in Scripture. God tells us to tell the next generation the glorious deeds of the Lord, His work, and His might. And essentially, God's given us a testimony to help build the faith of the next generation. And, um, you know, a lot of our kids and grandkids, surprisingly, don't know our faith story, our testimony, our conversion just the the wonderful things that God has done in our life uh, over the course of our of our years, you know, all of us have been through challenging seasons, and the, God gives us those. In part, we can uh, we can talk about uh, how God proved Himself faithful and true in those seasons, and so in part, God's given us those to kind of build up who He is. Not really, you know, the point really isn't us; he, we're just the pointer. Uh, that builds up Christ in uh, in their eyes, and our testimony happens to be, be the means to that end. But all of those are ways to help prove uh, Christianity. You know, archaeology. I mentioned that one. Uh, I don't know if you if you noticed, but recently they just discovered some more Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I was a week ago or something, maybe not even that long ago. Um, first time in like sixty or seventy years. So it's a pretty significant discovery. And so, like, um, you know, we can pull up those kinds of current events like that and say, wow, we can see, do, do these old manuscripts from, I don't know, a couple thousand years ago match with the Bible that we have today? And that proof, you know, we can say, um, you know, because our kids are going to hear the Bible has errors in it and it's not true. And so here's just a very simple way just recently that we can take to prove that the Bible is, in fact, the same today as it was yesterday, uh, very, very very long ago. Mm -hmm. And Josh, because I always want to encourage people to have their story ready to go, to share, because you never know when that opportunity is going to arise. Would you give us your conversion story? Yeah. Four years old, uh, parents... Shared the gospel at bedtime with yeah. me, and um, my tender little heart, That's so uh, sweet. Uh, you know, responded, and I think I invited Christ into my life many times, you know, as a kid, you know, you're just not, your assurance of faith isn't there, and so I remember questioning and wondering, um, but, you know, God, very gracious, uh, you know, reached down and opened my eyes and my heart at a very young age, and, um, you know, I, I've not had any of the serious seasons of rebellion that um, that many have, and I consider that a true blessing. Um, it doesn't mean that there obviously hasn't been difficulty, but, um, but God's really put a strong faith seed in my mm-hmm. life, and that's not um, anything that, you know, I take credit for. I truly believe faith is from the Lord. Um, so, uh, you know, it, I, I feel like for me, all I've really ever known in my life is the Lord. And I think that's a testimony to my parents that they, um, you know, the gospel was something that was front and center in our home. Not only was it proclaimed, but it was lived. And the combination of those is a very powerful, um, you know, it's a very, 
very powerful uh, message. And so um, that for me, I think not only the the hearing of God's word, but also seeing it lived out and the, you know, my parents' life there, the words that they said and the way that they lived uh, really matched. And of course, that's a, it's a challenge for all of us as parents and grandparents. None of us are perfect. So we always mess up. And if yeah, I have five kids, if you ask my five kids, they'll, they probably have a long laundry list of how dad falls short and fails. But I, you know what, what I saw from my parents, what I want my kids to see is that when sin is present in my life and when I do fall short of God's standard, that there's a contrite heart and there's confession. And my parents, um, they were quick to admit when they fell short and when there was failure, they uh, often would apologize to us as kids. And I tell you that, that was really attractive to us just to see God's word made a difference in their life. And they really, really tried to prioritize how they lived according to God's word, Um, not only with how they lived, but how we spent our time and our money and um, just our life was a service to the Lord. And um, so, it started young and it carried out throughout my life. And that in and of itself, that, that I would consider that all part of their testimony that they lived out in front of us. And, um, all four of us kids, I'm the oldest of four. Uh, we all love the Lord today. And, mm-hmm. um, that's not, you know, that's not, you know, I, I attribute that to the Lord, but my parents had certainly played an important role in that. So when your parents said, uh, Josh, be home by 10. You were home by 9.15 just to play it safe. <laughs> yeah, they used to put an alarm <laughs> clock out in the hallway set for 10 o'clock or whatever. Yeah. And right. I had to shut it off or if it went off. And, yeah. and they knew you weren't on time. Yeah, I'm yeah. a firstborn, so I'm I'm pretty much a rule follower. I okay. had my moments, but, yeah. um, you did, know, I, yeah. Did your siblings have a rebellious streak or was it kind of consistent through the kids? Yeah, I, you know, I'd have to ask my parents. Yeah. From my perspective, it was... Um, pretty consistent obedience. Yeah. I'm sure some of them had some moments that made them pull their hair out, but yeah. for the parents, most part, we never had the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the big things that trip up a lot of kids. Do you think your parents are listening right now? They may be, actually. Well, maybe we'll call them at the break and get them on. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> I got to yeah. do a check on you, Josh. You uh, seem too good to be true. <laughs> well, and I went into, well, you know, as, as, when I started as a pastor, I made the, the faulty assumption that that was the norm for yeah. a lot. And it's not. No. And so, you know, for those listening that that's not the norm, um, you know, I think you're, 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 if you've got challenges in the home, that is more the reality. And God's grace is new every morning. Um, but it does remind us, you know, the standard is high. It's not my parents. It's not any of us that are talking. It's the Lord. But um, he gives grace where it's needed, and we do the best we can with what we have at the time as parents. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Yeah, Dr. Josh Mulvihill is my guest. We're going to talk about uh, the, the components of apologetics to help children defend their faith. And, of course, that means we're going to learn about defending our faith as adults. So the four points are prove, defend, refute, and persuade. We've got prove down, three more to go. We'll take a break, and we'll continue with Dr. Josh Mulvihill.
I love my topic. I love my guest. That makes me two for two. Having a good day. Dr. Josh Mulvihill is in studio. We're talking about how to help children defend faith. And Josh, so we covered prove. Now let's go to defend. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. So every generation there are attacks on Christian faith, and um, I think it's good for us as parents and grandparents to try to anticipate what that will be uh, today or in the future for our children and grandchildren. Um, Ideally, I would love for my kids to hear all the arguments that they will hear from the world, that they'll hear that first in our home, but it's in a kind of a more protected arena where we can um, put those arguments in front of them, help them test them according to God's Word, kind of look at what are the truth components of it and what are the faulty areas, the erroneous things, and kind of expose that. Uh, We talk to our kids about the reality that, that lies rarely come in neon lights. They typically come in half-truths or partial truths, and they're really hard to identify Mm. um, sometimes. And so the biggie, the two biggies um, historically have been the Word of God, the Bible, that gets attacked, um, undermined the Bible, and the Son of God, Jesus Christ. If those, if those two, either one of those two dominoes fall, a lot else falls with it. And uh, so we spend a lot of time kind of trying to build those two up. Christ and the Bible. Um, and then, of course, there are social issues that are always going to be prevalent. We don't always know exactly what they will be. True. But, you know, right now we have a ton that are hitting. It seems like we're playing whack-a-mole sometimes, no trying to keep up with everything that's happening. Um, but they provide, you know, just if we're on social media, watching any kind of television, what we're reading, um, you know, those all those provide opportunities to talk about the big current social issues according to God's Word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're getting these new issues that are popping up, you said, like whack-a-mole, but you might get three to five in the last two months. Yeah. That are, that are new issues that now have to be dealt with, incorporated into the discussion because it becomes a... Something that people say, well, what about this? Mm-hmm. And they hit you with it, and you have to be ready to, an an- to have an answer. And I think it's okay that sometimes we don't have the answer as parents or grandparents, and we are learning along with our children or grandchildren. Um, so I was one of my oldest son, <clears throat> excuse me, he's 15. He was sitting in, an, in a teaching session where he was told that same-sex attraction, there's nothing wrong with that. And um, the speaker was saying, you know, uh, homosexuality is not okay, but same-sex attraction is. And, you know, we're listening, and I'm thinking, this sounds like something's off here, but I can't really put my finger on what it was. So I needed to go back as a dad and look at, okay, how do we understand this scripturally? Uh, Of course, uh, the Bible doesn't use those the term same-sex attraction. So this was an area with our son where we really had to, you know, dive in a little bit. What Mm -hmm. a... How do we define that scripturally? Well, that's actually sexual attraction, sexual temptation. So once we found the uh, scriptural category, you know, then it opened up the conversation. So what do we do? What do we do when we have sexual temptation? Um, is that wrong? Is it not wrong? Um, how, how are we supposed to handle that? 
whether it's same sex or whether it's not, um, what does God ask of us? And so, boom, we were off and running, mm-hmm. and now we have, you know, now we have an opportunity to have conversations, you know, as we run across that all over the place in our culture now today. Uh, that's just one of the, you know, one of the many issues that I don't ever remember having those kind of conversations when I was younger, just because it wasn't front and center with us. It was more the kind of the, it wasn't the cultural norm at the time. But yeah, you're right. It is, uh, seems like there's a lot of biggies that have popped up and it's hard to kind of keep up with it. All the conversation about race, all the conversation about sexuality, all of, Hmm. um, and they all, by the way, all those fall into the category of humanity and scripture. That's where the huge attack is right now. So historically it's been the the Bible and Christ. Today it's everything dealing with humanity. So here as parents and grandparents, if if we want to spend some time kind of um you know f- strengthening our own understanding for conversations, we need to understand what the Bible says about marriage, manhood, womanhood, uh God's what God asks of us sexually, those are all areas that our kids are getting hit on so that we can have conversations with them. Um, And those aren't, you know, they seem like simple subjects, but if I were to say to my 15 or my uh, 12-year-old, they need to know the answer to what is a man and what is a woman, because that's really they're being told something different today culturally that could undermine their faith. And of course, you know, that's not central to their salvation, but it often then takes them on a path away from the gospel in lifestyle choices that then, you know, we look at where they, where they end up 5, 10, 15 years down the road, and there's no gospel fruit whatsoever because of the life choices, and you wonder, where are they at then? And so that helps, those kind of issues and topics help to defend against some of the erosion that happens in other areas. Mm-hmm. Josh, as a parent, if you weren't talking to your son about these issues, would he be learning about them uh, in his youth group? Is the church talking about it? Some are, okay. and I and I think that's a good thing. Obviously, the challenge is how do you do that? Because these are some big, big issues. And um, but the church, you know, the, the church, if it's just preaching through Scripture. Um, you'll come across those topics. And I think the safe thing to do is, as as we preach through the Bible, we let God's God's Word dictate those kinds of subject matters. So, of course, they're found in Genesis 1. They're all over Proverbs. Mm-hmm. So any kind of youth pastor, youth group, children's ministry, if it taught through Proverbs, you'd hit a lot of those subjects. Of course, and that's I say Proverbs because... That's the one book of the Bible that's specifically written for young people. And there's uh, about 10% of the book of Proverbs is on marriage, manhood, sexuality, womanhood. Uh, Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 is really juicy um, when it comes to some of those subjects. And so just as we as we let the Bible dictate what it is that's said and what is taught, um, we can be confident then with our children and even those that we pastor that we're God setting the agenda, it's his words that we're communicating as we, we preach and teach through these passages. Then we, you know, it doesn't, um, it doesn't mitigate potential issues with um, misinterpretation or misteaching, but it does, you know, does 
likely lead to, to good things in those kind of teachings and conversations. So when kids are in school and they obviously want to be accepted and liked and be part of some group and they want to be confident to share their faith, they are up against bigger challenges than I think ever before. Mm-hmm. They are. And apologetics is, you know, it could be seen as a piece of evangelism in that it helps um, somebody that is not yet um, warm to Christ or believing in Christ kind of move some of the intellectual or even emotional kinds of roadblocks that, that are, you know, that are keeping them from uh, from Christ. And, you know, I think a great thing is just to simply ask questions. You know, why do you believe what you believe? And the good thing about God's Word is it can stand up to scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And so we don't need to be fearful that uh, as we begin to ask questions about where belief is placed, um, you know, God's Word works in the real world. It aligns in the real world. It makes sense in the real world. And those that aren't believing in things that align with God's Word, they just, they don't work. They're unreliable. And we can start to point out some of those those differences, and we don't need to be fearful that uh, that God's Word won't prove true, um, in, you know, in, in the end. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. When kids feel attacked, though, and their little blood pressure goes up and they get nervous, then what? You know, it's like we also have to train them to stay calm and ask questions. And that's not easy to do, especially when you're trying to navigate your way through this very difficult time in middle school or high school. Yeah. Well, we can, you know, we can talk through scenarios with them. Um, you know, what what do we say when questioned? And I think with, um, you know, with anybody skill comes with practice. And so mm-hmm. um, just as kids get out and talk about why they believe what they believe, I think that becomes a powerful, powerful piece for their peers. And um, so, I, you know, I think every young person has a testimony that they can share. Every young person can say, here's why I believe this is true and can start to uh, lay those lay those claims out. And it'll be good for our, it's, I I think it's good for our kids, for them to get questioned and um, their thinking to get tested by others because it refines and it helps them even clarify uh, because more than likely they've got some holes and we've got holes in our beliefs that need refining and that's helpful. Mm Mm-hmm. Dr. Josh Mulvihill is my guest. If you have a question for Josh, or maybe you'd like something clarified that we've already said, let us know what it is. 877-933-2484 after a short break. Lots more with Dr. Josh Mulvihill. Show. 
If you are just joining us, uh, you've missed a wonderful first half hour of this hour. Dr. Josh Mulvihill is my guest. And as we're hearing a little bit of his testimony and story, it sounds like hmm, he came to faith in Christ when he was four because his, his uh, dad came to the bedside and shared the gospel and his little heart opened up and he said yes. And uh, he's got three siblings and apparently there was like very little rebellion from four kids growing up in the household. And I thought to myself, huh, so must be a pretty spectacular mom and dad. And I thought, I would like to meet this dad. And guess what? He's on the studio line right now. Joe Mulvihill, welcome to the show. Hi there. <laughs> You've got quite a son here. Well, ditto, I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dad. <laughs> hey, hi, Josh. <laughs> and you were with Campus Crusade for 37 years. That's correct. So you're, uh, you're quite used to sharing your faith. That would be true. Yeah. <laughs> so it was. So Josh turns out, you know, it was a pretty good kid, huh? Yes, he was. And I understand he had, there... his, he had his moments, as we all do. <laughs> okay. And I asked, I asked him about the uh, the curfew, uh, uh, cl- the curfew time, and he said, "Well, my parents had an alarm clock. I had to show up on in time and turn it off." <laughs> yeah, there was truth to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, must be an awfully uh, grateful heart that you have to watch your, your kids and now your grandkids growing up in the faith and loving Jesus and following him. Uh, I just want to say, uh, Joe, it's really a blessing to hear that. Well, thank you. Um, I guess I've shared with my kids in the past, if God would call me home today, I would have died a grateful man because the greatest accomplishment has been achieved, which is uh, the first line of discipleship that God calls us to is the children in our homes. And to see them having embraced Christ and having decided to follow him faithfully so far to this point in their lives, there's no greater satisfaction than that. Mm -hmm. And Joe, could you give some counsel to some listeners right now whose hearts might be a little broken because that's not their story. Yes, that just that is true. That is, um, we have been greatly blessed in that way, and I, I recognize that. For those who, that is not their story. Um, it's never too late to start where you're at and begin to trust God to show you what kind of step or steps might He lay on your heart to begin to change that story. Every day is a new opportunity. Every moment is a new opportunity. And he wants to do a new and fresh work in us and through us. And he can do that. He can, he's a God of the impossible. And we know that he hears our heart and the cry of our hearts. And that begins as we open ourselves up in prayer to him and communicating our hearts to him. And from there, as he lays a conviction upon us to step into it and to step forward in courage and faith and trusting him to work in and through us in the lives of our children and grandchildren. Well, Joe, thank you so much for uh, leading the way, opening up that door of salvation to the kids. And, and, you know, Josh was saying that you always did such an amazing job of modeling your faith. So, Anyway, I just wanted to meet this amazing man named Joe Mulvihill. So thank you for coming on the show. Well, my pleasure.
Thank you so Any, much. Anything you want to say to Josh before you get off? Like clean well up your done, room or anything? Faith. Yeah, well done, good and faithful son. Thanks, Dad. You too. Yeah, keep up the good work. What you know, the baton's been handed on, and we continue to uh, move that from one generation to the next. And as long as we have breath, we keep keep on keeping on. Yeah. Amen. 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 All right. Thanks, Joe. Yep. All right. That was a lovely little uh, yeah. time with your dad. Yeah. Blessing to have a dad like that. No kidding. All right. As we continue to talk about uh, the four components of apologetics to help our children and grandchildren defend faith, we talked about prove and defend. Now let's talk about refute. Yeah, refute. So the idea of uh, comparing and contrasting other belief systems, maybe world religions, to verify that the Christian faith is true. And uh, so in this case, uh, we may look at some of the big picture questions of life and ask, how do these different belief systems answer them? What's our purpose? Why are we here? Uh, What's the problem? What's the answer? And what, you know, kind of what are we looking for in the future? And uh, every, you know, every major religion and even um, belief system has answers to those kinds of questions. And so those become actually a pretty helpful grid if we're ever trying to figure out what is this belief system teaching. If we can remember questions like that, it kind of helps us get to the heart of what it is that it's saying. Um, We got a lot of views right now, for example, with, with justice in our society and those views of justice answer those questions I just asked. But sometimes they say, you know, the problem is different than what the Bible says with some of those belief systems. And the answer, the solution is different as well. And so that starts to help us gain clarity on uh, is this biblical or is it not? And so those, um, those you know, our goal is really to expose and then... Uh, bring clarity to it. Uh, I'll give an example because for some that's really conceptual. So we took our kids, and we've actually gone a couple times to the Creation Museum. Uh, It's within a day's drive from here. Uh, We kind of walk through and uh, helps us understand the question of where did we come from? How did we get here? What, uh, you know, who am I? Some of those big questions. Uh, We get to walk through the and see what you know, where our world, our creation, our world came from. And then we would, on our way home, we stop at the, uh, the the Natural History Museum in Chicago, and we look at how the Natural History Museum answers those exact same questions and provides very different answers and provides some really good conversation. And remember, we were walking through the Natural History Museum, and my second-born son was... Uh, having a very in-depth conversation with the tour guide based on what he had learned previously uh-huh. about, you know, I don't think that's true. You know, it was kind of conversation uh-huh. like that. You know, as a dad, I'm sitting there kind of chuckling. But, of course, it was a, you know, it's a little grade school age kid, so the tour guide had to be respectful and hear all the audiences <laughs> kind of listening to this, you know, this... Uh, innocent conversation that's happening but those you know those there's practical things like that that we can do and that becomes really hands-on and experiential and you know that can happen through 
Man, any, you know, anytime we are reading through something or seeing something that we just, it, it brings it into that kind of D6 as we go conversation with our kids. Mm-hmm. What I love when we talk about the components of apologetics to help children defend faith is all of these principles are completely applicable for us adults as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is just not for the parents and grandparents, but it's for everybody who wants to brush up on their apologetics to defend your faith. So we want to prove, defend, refute, and now the big one, persuade. Persuade, yeah. They're all big, but this one seems to be a biggie. Well, I'll start start with going one direction, then I'm going to swing back. Um, I think it's helpful to recognize that many young people aren't on a truth quest. Uh, They are on a happiness quest. Mm -hmm. And so many young people need to be, be persuaded that happiness is found in the living in alignment with God's truth in the Bible. Um, they're connected, obviously, but so uh, many of the life decisions, life choices that some young people make, they do that, I believe, because they think happiness will be found there. And so part of the persuasion that we have is that that great joy is available to them, great happiness is available to them, and it's found living in alignment with God's mm-hmm. Word that we have. Um, so that's kind of off to one side, um, and then coming back to the kind of, you know, as we think more historically about uh, apologetics with persuade, I think we need to take questions uh, answer questions, answer objections very seriously with our children and our grandchildren and not uh, brush them aside. If to us it may seem minor, uh, we never want to mock or make fun of. Uh, we do want to address criticism, and uh, that would be of Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are many. Uh, you know, Right now in our society, we have criticisms of America and Christianity as uh, historically greedy and um, friendly to uh, racism and slavery and those kinds of views, those are those are big criticisms that we should take some time and talk through with our children and grandchildren. And there may be some hints of truth in those uh, that there are, you know, there's there are there has been warts on the church or on Christianity uh, through different seasons, and we need to we we need to be truthful about that when that happens. Mm-hmm. There's also work be gone. There's also work be gone. Right. Um, and we're all imperfect. The right. church is imperfect, too, because it's made up of imperfect people. Uh, but, we, you know, we want to eliminate, essentially, these, these difficulties that would be rocks in, in their way uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, bring the truth that, to bear upon those. So um, I'll give another example. I think those are always helpful. So, you know, we've been pretty intentional with our boys that we want them to understand what is a man. I mentioned that previously. Um, And you never know as a dad what sticks and what doesn't. And um, so we, you know, we wanted our boys to be able to answer the question, what does it mean to be a man according to God's word? So, you know, we defined that for our boys. I think scripture answers that. Um, I've, I've taught them it, simply, if you ask the question, how can I serve you, you're getting at the heart of manhood in Scripture. Um, and we're going to define that by 
lead, provide, and protect. And so we uh, we had a manhood group of about eight dads and sons <laughs> that we would do stuff together yeah. about monthly. And some of it was really fun, uh, kind of manhood yeah esque activities, um, but in that we would teach these truths, like those things I just mentioned. Um, and that was a couple years ago, and it it, uh, it brought great joy to my heart. I was listening to my older son chat with somebody else, and they asked, essentially the conversation came up. It was actually in their youth group's small group, and the conversation came up, and he, uh, you know, he shot those three things out real fast. Here's wow. what it means to be a man. Um, but I, and I, I believe that kind of subject matter they're getting hit on what you know all these gender identity things right now that that again comes and has the potential to erode different areas of faith and so having those key truths in place those key pillars is so critical and they're you know the challenge we have there's so many that we have today as parents and that we have as grandparents they're getting hit so young that uh, these, you know, these subjects that we're talking about, many of us don't like to think about starting so early, but um, but a lot of these truths are so simplistic. They're not simple, but they're simplistic enough that, you know, we can teach um, how can I serve you, kind of the core of manhood to a five, you know, I can teach that to a five-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can teach what does it mean to lead sacrificially and um, to lead as a servant. You know, that's what we see from Christ in scripture and how would we serve if we were if God calls us to marriage? If He doesn't call us to marriage as a man, we still can give our life of service to whoever it is that God calls us to be um, to be in community with, and uh, and that has to just happen so early today. Because if not, we're kind of sometimes trying to play catch up. Not that that you know, not that that can't happen if we haven't done that. You know, if our if we've got teens and we haven't had a lot of these conversations. Uh, we still can have those and and address those truths, and we should at all ages and stages. But if you're a family right now with young kids, you've got time on your side and should use that to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Dr. Josh Mulvihill is my guest. And Josh, do we go to LegacyCoalition.com? Is that where I should send people? Well, that's grandparenting. That's grandparenting. Um, grandparenting ministry, I help start. You can go to Renew a Nation. Renew, one word. Yeah, one word. RenewAnation.org. Yes. It's the ministry I serve with. Yep. RenewAnation.org. We'll take a short break and be right back. Josh Mulvihill today. You can go to re, Renew a Nation. Renew a Nation. R-E-N-E-W-A-N-A-T-I-O-N.org. You can learn all about his amazing ministry, and he's authored several books, including Biblical Grandparenting, Preparing Children for Marriage, and Rooted Kids Curriculum and Work and Worship. Anyway, Josh, let's take the remaining time we have, if you don't mind, and talk about how we best understand the biblical understanding of justice. Yeah, this is kind of a case study for apologetics. It's critical one right now. Is the mic's not on? 
Now it is. Oh, there we go. There we go. Yeah. So uh, it's a pretty critical subject, kind of a case study for apologetics. Um, so, and it's everywhere. Justice is um, a lot of counterfeit versions of it right now. So I think it starts with what, you know, what do we, how do we define our terms? Um, in simplest terms, biblically, justice is getting what we're owed. It's kind of, if you think of, of a coin, it's one side of the coin is, you, you know, we deserve, um, in God's standard, we deserve hell, we deserve his wrath. The other side of the coin is God's mercy and grace in that he offers to give us what we don't deserve in uh, in Jesus Christ, he takes our sin and gives us his perfection. Uh, so that's the flip side. Um, but justice, you know, I think about with my kids, what's maybe the most common phrase that my kids say in my home is, it's not fair. <laughs> maybe you <laughs> yeah. can, maybe you can, uh, yeah, maybe you've had that happen to your home a lot. Um, but fairness, justice is, uh, is a, it's it just, it's like we all have this, this drive to have, have fairness and justice in our life. Um, but even on a, on a deeper level, how do we understand what justice is? And the way I understand justice scripturally, uh, and I'm gonna, each of these words is important. It's the fair and impartial application of God's moral law in society. So fair and impartial, meaning that we're not letting any external factors dictate how we make a decision. So it could be skin color, it could be biological sex, male, female, it could be um, religion, it could be wealth. Of course, James brought that one up in the, the book of James, that people were getting different treatment in the church because some had money and some didn't. And James said, whoa, 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 this isn't right. This isn't just, this isn't fair, this isn't good. Uh, so the fair and impartial application of God's moral law in society. So that, that moral law is important because justice requires a standard, uh, a level standard. And what we've been given is God's word for that. So what's, we need to have a standard of right and wrong. So the most, in the most basic sense, we have God, the Ten Commandments. And, you know, we have kind of, a, you know, we can all think about what the Ten Commandments say. When we don't have a standard of right and wrong. And if we just think about society today, does society have a good standard of right and wrong? And I look at society and go, man, it's a mess with what people understand to be right and wrong. And when we don't understand what's right and wrong, according to God's standard, we can't understand what is just and what is injustice. And so if you get justice, the other, it's kind of like if you think of two a plane with two wings. One wing is righteousness and the other is justice. And so you get one wing that's off and the whole thing kind of falls apart. Um, and so uh, so it, when we want to teach our kids justice, the foundation to that is helping them understand what's right and wrong according to God's word. And then, then we can simply recognize where injustice is happening. And of course, as Christians... God treats us with the same standard, and he calls us to do that with others as well, to do that without impartiality. And, um, and so, you know, it's as simple as um, treating everyone with the dignity, the respect, the love that, we, that God treats us without any of those external factors. And, uh, and so our, our society, as it 
continues to drift away from um, from a, a Christian way of thinking of views and values, we have all kinds of confusion today around then what what justice is. And so, you know, from our for our kids, we can begin there and help them understand justice is the fair and impartial application of God's moral law in society. That's true of our in our home as well. It's true in all other arenas. Uh, but if you want if you want kids that not uh, that recognize justice and act justly, which of course we're called to do scripturally, we need to teach them God's laws and help them understand that. And essentially, you know, a society that doesn't have a good standard of right and wrong, it's not like they don't have that. They just have a secular moral code, and that's what's taking the place today of God's moral law. And so, therefore, um, we get out of whack. And, you know, if you go on social media, you get called every name in the book if you are trying to live according to God's law, and that's because this is the new moral code with which we're now then describing what's just and unjust. And maybe uh, maybe you've been hit up against some of those individuals online, and the reality is they're simply living according to their worldview, which makes total sense when they've pushed out God's moral law. They, f- they need some other moral code, secular moral code, uh, and that uh, that is their standard of then what's just and unjust. And I'll, I'll add one last piece. Uh, when we get rid of God's standard of right and wrong, there has to be a new standard. And in our society today, that standard is group identity, mm-hmm. which is, this is a good talking point with kids. So if we don't have God's standard, our identity becomes the group we're associated with. It could be gender, uh, it could be skin color, it could be religion, it could be sexuality, homosexuality, heterosexuality, um, and we compare one group to another group, and if there aren't, there isn't equality there in outcome, then that's termed in our society today as unjust. And so we look at that and goes, that what the Bible tells us is the determiner for justice, and of course it's not. But that makes sense. If we don't have God's standard, we have to have some other. And so group identity takes the place of God's law. Uh, and so that you know that that is that's helpful conversation points so that kids can say okay that's that's not our determination for what's good bad right wrong in our society it's something different now it doesn't mean that they they can't put their pulse on some problems that are in existence and there obviously are there's going to always be injustice to some degree in our societies um until Christ comes back uh, and, and so I think our, our world sees some truth in that, but how do we determine what truly is unjust, uh, injustice according to God's laws is critical. Yeah. Seems like, Josh, there's a tendency for people to categorize quickly. Yeah. When you see somebody, you put them in a category instantly, and then you have certain thoughts about this person, and you have to encounter, encounter them as a person if they're outside of God's family who are following the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, who is the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're lost. Mm-hmm. And as believers, we need to say, we need to love them and listen. God's way of living may not be desirable, but the outcomes are very attractive. Mm-hmm. And they, when we live according to God's laws and his... You know his 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 way of living 
it really becomes beautiful for people that may not understand those truths, but they can see them then. And I think that becomes, that comes back to, you know, this comes full circle to the beginning of our conversation, that our our model, our testimony, the way we live, um, the way God's worked in our life becomes a pretty powerful uh, apologetic in these seasons when sometimes words uh, may not crack the code for some other people. Mm-hmm. So Josh, how can I direct listeners to your resources? Where would I send them to? Renewanation.org has a lot of worldview resources. So okay. if you're a parent that is looking for, how do I learn and mm-hmm. um, have conversations? There's going to be a lot there to help you learn and then to help you have conversations. Uh, I blog at gospelshapedfamily.org. Gospelshapedfamily.org. So I put some stuff out from time to time that would be on this category of apologetics. might be helpful. Okay. Well, thank you, Josh, for coming in and being such an amazing guest. And also thank you to Joe Mulvihill, Josh's dad, who made a cameo guest appearance, probably his first time ever on radio. We're glad to have him. Glad to have you both. That wraps up our show for the day. Thank you so much for supporting Faith Radio and listening to my show for as much of it as you do. I appreciate every minute you're with me. I'm looking forward to our time tomorrow. Tom and Marsha Berkowitz will be with me. It's going to be an exciting day. See you soon. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.